Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading this morning is taken from Luke and this can be found on page 1052 of the Bibles that you have. So it's Luke chapter 18 and we're reading verses 15 to 30. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honour your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus replied, What is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, We have left all we had to follow you. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sue. Good morning, everyone. Very good to see you uh, here today. Rob just prayed for us. I won't pray again, but uh, do keep your Bibles open at that reading. It's page 1052 in the church Bibles. I think you'll find that a great help over the next few moments. This week, a comedian up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival got upset when some parents brought a young baby with them to one of his performances. Apparently, the baby was um, fairly disruptive during the performance. And afterwards, he said that parents really shouldn't be bringing babies to his show. It sparked off quite a a backlash uh, this week. Well, as we come to Luke 18, I suspect that if Jesus were to be running a theater up in Edinburgh, he'd be welcoming all kinds of babies to come along. It's one of the most famous moments in the ministry of Jesus. The disciples are acting as bouncers, driving the babies away. And Jesus welcomes them in. If people believe in 
Jesus today. This is the kind of Jesus that people like to believe in. A, a gentle Jesus, an inclusive Jesus, a Jesus that welcomes the, the little ones, those on, on the edge of society. It, it plays well in our culture today. But I wonder how many people keep on reading to verse 17, where Jesus says, Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And suddenly now this feels a bit more uncomfortable. Little children are utterly reliant on others. They can do nothing for themselves. They come with empty hands. They are needy. We're in the middle of a series in Luke's gospel. We've called the series Marks of True Discipleship. And here is one of the most striking marks from the lips of Jesus himself. The utterly essential attitude of being like a little child. But why is this? Why is it so utterly essential that we must have a childlike attitude before we can enter the kingdom? Why is that the only way? Well, today here in Luke's gospel, we're going to see. And Jesus shows us by setting up a contrast between dependent babies over here and a rich ruler over here. And as Jesus unpacks this contrast, I think he would invite us all this morning, whether we've been coming to church many years or this is our first time here, he would invite all of us to use this contrast to look at our own hearts, our own attitudes toward Jesus today. So let's dive in. I've got two points. The first is this, a promising candidate, a promising candidate. Let's pick it up. Verse 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And straight away, this is exactly the kind of person the disciples would expect to be welcomed into God's kingdom. He's a ruler. We don't know what kind of ruler, but I imagine someone with life experience, skills, status, perhaps the kind of person who would be useful on the new leadership team Jesus will need in his kingdom. This man, he's polite. He calls Jesus good teacher, in real contrast to some of the thinly veiled hostility from the Pharisees we've seen so often. He cares about the important things in life. So many people just drift through life living for the moment in the here and now without asking the big questions in life, but this man has a real spiritual hunger. He cares about the life to come. And this man is rich. I know today that um, rich people can be easy targets, sometimes accused of profiting at other people's expenses or perhaps being a bit ruthless or a bit driven. But in Jesus' day, to be wealthy was taken as a sign of God's blessing on your life. And even today, there is something about wealthy people that we find impressive. It's the wealthy people who are so often on the magazine covers and the social media feeds. But the first clue that all is not well comes in verse 19. Why do you call me good? 
Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Does this ruler really understand what true goodness involves? Well, let's see, verse 20. You know the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said, which is impressive. This man sounds good. He may be rich, but he's gained his wealth fairly without stealing or, or bending the truth. He's a, he's a family man. He hasn't committed adultery. He's respectful to his parents. I think he's the kind of guy you would love to have as your next door neighbor. Just one of those good types. He is a promising candidate to be welcomed into God's kingdom. Is he not? You see, Jesus welcomes little babies, and that's a good thing. But surely, surely this kind of guy also should be welcomed into the kingdom of God. But Jesus isn't finished. I know it's exam results season. I think A-level's out this last Thursday. GCST's out next Thursday. It does make me so grateful I don't have to take exams anymore. But I remember um, being back at school, and my teacher telling me two things about exams. One is always read the question, and the second thing is always make sure you check both sides of the exam paper. And just imagine you take yourself back to your school days, and you sat an exam, you've been working hard for hours, with five minutes left, you lean back, finished, tired but content. And just for the last five minutes, you look around the room and you see people scribbling away, and you just you think to yourself, I just wonder, and you turn the, the page over and realize you're only halfway through. It's the stuff of nightmares, isn't it? Well, Jesus does something similar with this rich ruler. I wonder if you noticed which commands Jesus didn't mention in verse 20. Some time ago, the independent newspaper ran a story about a survey that was carried out amongst C of E vicars. They were asked if they could list all 10 commandments, and apparently two-thirds couldn't, which means there are a number on the staff team here who will be struggling, by the, according to the stats. In fact, 200 of the vicars could only remember two out of the 10 commandments. So don't worry, if you're a little bit rusty this morning on your 10 commandments, you're in good company. But in verse 20, Jesus only refers to commandments in the second half of the 10 Specifically, commandments five to nine. Commands that are all about our horizontal relationships with one another. And the commands he doesn't mention, well, the tenth commandment, which is about coveting, which feels significant, but also the first four commandments that speak about our, our vertical relationship with the Lord. And with divine insight, Jesus is placing his finger right on the issue in this man's heart. Verse 22. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. It's not wrong to have wealth 
Indeed, there are many positive examples of, of rich people in the Bible. But for this man, the issue is whether he will keep the first commandment. And in case you've forgotten it, Exodus 20 verse 3 says, You shall have no other gods before me. And so back to this man, verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. It is hard to give up something if we think we'll be worse off afterwards. We see this with uh, young kids playing with toys, uh, don't we? So they've got their favorite toy and they're playing happily over here. And then you come along, you have to take the toy off them, but you've got another toy to swap in for, for the favorite toy. But they think that the initial toy is better than the other toy. And so when you make the swap, tears follow. And something similar is happening to this man. When Jesus says, give away everything and come and follow me, what he hears is, give up something that means a very great deal to you in exchange for someone who means a great deal less to you. And for this man, the sums just don't add up. Because it's clear, isn't it? He loves his money more than he loves Jesus. Yes, he is keeping some of the Ten Commandments. Indeed, the ones that are perhaps most visible to other people. But he's breaking the first. And thinking about our own lives today... It's easy to be selective about the exam questions we set ourselves for what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. And we often pick the questions we can answer most easily. If we love people, if we're sociable, it's easy to say, well, the most important thing is to love people. If we're hardworking, then we say, well, being diligent and responsible is what matters most. If we enjoy learning, then we say Bible knowledge is most important. If we're naturally self-controlled, then we say, keeping a lid on our temper. You see what, what I'm saying? All these things matter. But when is the last time we turn the exam paper over to the front side? Specifically, the first commandment and the most searching question of all. Do we love the Lord first and foremost before anything else? And what we're seeing here as Jesus talks to this rich ruler, is that he sees right into people's hearts, doesn't he? We might be able to impress the people around us with our behavior, but Jesus knows what's really going on, which takes us to our second point. A promising candidate was the first one. The second, a sobering conclusion. A sobering conclusion. Verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The obvious and uncomfortable plain application from what he is saying is that money is a major hurdle to people entering the kingdom of God. Normally, having money is seen as a real advantage in life. So many people aspire to have more of it. Parents work hard that they can pass on something to their children to give them a, a helping hand in life. And in lots of ways, money is incredibly useful. 
But when it comes to entry into God's kingdom, having money is a major disadvantage. Why is that? Isn't it because money can make us feel self-reliant? Having money tucked away for a rainy day makes us feel safe and secure if life does become difficult. It can make us feel safe. More than that, money can buy us lots of lovely things. It can buy us houses and cars and holidays and enable our holidays. Good things to enjoy. But no wonder money can become a first love in our hearts. An idol that draws us from the Lord. And so the words of Jesus are very sobering. Verse 25. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. There are lots of theories around about how the eye of a needle is referring to perhaps a a particular gate in Jerusalem, which is very narrow, like one of our modern-day car parks, with those narrow entrances. It's it's difficult, but if you drive the camel carefully and, and you really push them from behind, you can squeeze the camel through the gate and they'll get in. But there are no double meanings here. You simply cannot fit a seven-foot-tall, one-ton animal through a one-millimeter-wide gap. And if you did manage to get a camel through, then what would come out on the other side wouldn't be in particularly good shape. (laughs) And so it is a sobering conclusion. And may I say, a particularly sobering conclusion for us here at Forward. I realize that there'll be a spread of people in the room today in different situations. I'm not trying to um, have a one-size-fits-all comment at this point. We'll be in different financial positions as well. But in the context of history, and from a global perspective today, many of us enjoy incredible wealth and I absolutely include myself in that. And so wealth is much more likely to be a problem for our hearts than for many people. But the problem isn't just about wealth. Uh, Growing up, there was a boy in my school called Martin. Uh, He was an absolute genius. And annoyingly, he's also just a really nice guy as well. Um, But Martin was one of those characters in class who would always ace every test and every exam always miles ahead of everyone else. I suspect we all had our own sort of Martin equivalent in our class growing up. Although, knowing forward, you probably were the Martin in your class. <laughs> but just imagine uh, the exams come around, and for some reason, you're taking the exams in sequence, and uh, Martin, or, or the equivalent in your day, has to go first. And he goes into the exam hall, the door closes, he does the exam, an hour later he comes out. And as you prepare to go in past him, you can't help noticing his face. And Martin's face is white as a sheet. In fact, you notice he's been crying. And you say to Martin, Martin, what's wrong? And Martin says, that exam, it's impossible. It's not exactly the kind of news you want to hear as you head in to the exam. And here are the disciples watching an A-grade, top-of-the-class, general, all-around good guy totally fail 
the discipleship exam. And as far as we know from Luke's account, not entering the kingdom. And they think if this guy flunks the exam, what chance does anyone have? That's why they cry out, verse 26, who then can be saved? And Jesus agrees, verse 27, it is humanly impossible. And yes, here in Luke 18, it's wealth that is the big idol for this rich ruler, which means he, he, he doesn't love the Lord first, he, he turns away. But it's not just wealth that can become an idol for us. It can be the opinion of others. It, it can be power or influence or knowledge or pleasure. Being Good before a holy God is about so much more than ticking a few boxes. It's about our heart attitudes. It's about love and adoration for him. And that is why back in verse 19, Jesus says that no one is good except God alone. Because everyone has failed to love the Lord above all. A sobering conclusion And I think today for us, here's the main application. The main thing we had to take away from this rich ruler is that childlike trust in Jesus really is the only way. It has to be this way. We have to come to Jesus empty-handed, utterly needy, completely dependent on him. Because we've all failed to love the Lord. We are all lawbreakers. But if we do adopt this childlike trust, this needy, humble attitude towards Jesus, there is great news. Verse 27, Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. If this rich ruler had just stuck around for a few more days and had followed Jesus for a bit longer then he would have seen Jesus complete his journey towards Jerusalem. He's been heading there all the way through this section in Luke's gospel. And we'll come back next week and see from verse 31 onwards exactly what this journey to Jerusalem will involve. It will involve tremendous suffering and his death on the cross. Jesus knows what's about to happen. He willingly chooses to continue the journey to Jerusalem, which is remarkable because... He is rich far beyond this rich ruler. He is rich with all the riches of the universe. He has the most glorious status, the most amazing power in the universe. And yet he willingly, freely, lovingly sets his face towards the cross. And as the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8, he who was rich became poor for us. He did what no one else would do. He perfectly loved his neighbor by dying for them, and he perfectly loved his heavenly father by humbly submitting to his will to go to the cross to save others. And so this is why childlike trust is enough. When we come empty-handed and helpless, The perfect obedience of Jesus, his perfect law-keeping, 
is accounted to us and all the ways in which we failed to love the Lord and broken God's law is put into the account of Jesus. He died the punishment we deserved for our sin on the cross. Which means that we are declared righteous before the Lord. A lot like the tax collector last week, he went home justified. It is not about what we do, but about what he has done for us. It would be easy to misjudge the heart of Jesus as we see this sincere, enthusiastic, would-be disciple. It can feel as if Jesus will rather drives him away. But we're told in Mark's account of the same story that Jesus loved this man. He loved him too much to leave him in ignorance about the state of his heart. And today, Jesus wants us to engage with our helplessness, to understand our need before the Lord, to to really believe that only childlike dependence will do for entry into the kingdom. And so why not spend some time on our own at some point later on today or this week and cry out to the Lord for his help to put his finger on the things in our hearts that we are trusting in and loving in more than the Lord Jesus. It may be painful, it will be painful, but in order to help us have a true childlike trust in Jesus. And also, as we pray, he's able to change our hearts. I think that's what we see with the disciples. Verse 28, Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. And in some ways, he's right. These disciples had left friends and family and a fishing business to follow Jesus. They had begun to do what this rich ruler wouldn't do, giving up what they had to follow Jesus. It's not that they are better than the rich ruler, but I think it's because Jesus has begun to open their eyes, to do a miracle in them, to show them what they could not see on their own, to see how worth it is following Jesus. Don't get me wrong, these disciples are a long way from having finished the discipleship course Um, Come back next week and we'll see just how little they don't know about the mission of Jesus and how they need their blind eyes open even more. And of course, dear Peter, in a couple of chapters' time, will utterly abandon Jesus when he's arrested. So these disciples have a long way to go still, but they are on the right track. They are beginning to see that following Jesus, trusting him first and foremost, is the way to live. And so look at verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much as this, as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. Thomas Chalmers was a Scottish minister back in the 1800s and he wrote a little book called The Expulsive Power of a new affection. It's not a particularly catchy title, perhaps, but um, it's a wonderful point he's making. In the book, he argues that 
the only way to fight our old desires that we have as Christians, our, our, our sinful desires for wrong things, the only way to fight them and to break free of them is to replace those old desires with, with new desires for Jesus. We can't simply deny the old ones. We have to have something different, a better desire, a better love, a greater joy to displace them. And there's something of that going on here in Luke's gospel. This rich ruler loved his money more than God. He thought money offered him more than God. And it's hard to let go of money if that's where we end up thinking. But aren't we seeing here in Luke's gospel that even though it may feel tremendously difficult to let go, if we choose to put Jesus first and follow him, we get everything. We get eternal life, but also blessings in the present that more than make up for the things we've lost. Our our money cannot die for us. Our, Our money cannot bring us eternal life. Our money doesn't love us or know what's best for us. It may not be money. It may be something else. But for all of us here this morning, and it's true of my own heart, there's a massive ongoing struggle to decide daily whether we reckon it's worth following Jesus or going somewhere else. Jesus knows the struggle. He knows how hard it is. And he wants to help us. As we pray, he can do the impossible, opening our eyes afresh to see that knowing Jesus and following him is utterly brilliant. And it is always totally and completely worth it. He loves to go on opening our blind eyes to see more and more of his glory and to see that happening come back next week. But for now, let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jesus did what we could never do. Thank you that he lived a life of perfect obedience, of perfect love for you and for neighbor. We thank you for his life laid down for us on the cross, which means that as we cry out for help, he is there able to wash us clean of our sin. Father, please, would you go on opening our eyes to the joy and the beauty of following the Lord Jesus, that we might increasingly be able to say no to the things that cannot give us life and yes to the one who laid down his life for us. And in his name we pray, amen.